Game Dynasties podcast platform episode number 73. Folks, I know it's been a couple of weeks. We know you're listening because you're giving us feedback saying, hey, where you been? Well, here we are. We just returned back from Missouri on a trophy whitetail hunt with a handful of, we call them friends, but they certainly, all of you that are our clients that spend some time hunting with us are, are all friends. We know that. And uh, we did okay. Not wonderful, but it's it's a difficult hunt this time of year. But one thing for sure is I had a great time out there for a lot of reasons, and I was able to connect up with a, a gentleman I think you've heard of, you're probably quite familiar with, is uh, Nick Grillo. Nick, uh, part of that Grillo family that owns Michigan Brand Meats, he has a wonderful, wonderful story to tell of an experience he had out in Colorado on a, on a, a cougar hunt, some of us might call it, but they're definitely uh, a mountain lion. And, of course, Nick, well, without further ado, let's let's roll right into podcast episode number 73 and have Nick uh, walk us through this unbelievable experience. Not just about mountain lion hunting, but several other, we'll call them serendipities that happened along the way. Let's roll. Nick Grillo, this is Gary Morgan calling. Hey Gary, how's it going today, my man? You just got back from a hunt, and I'm I'm out in Missouri on a hunt. So uh, it's uh, it's what we do. It's what we enjoy to do, and we're very very thankful that our families and uh, we're able to do these things. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, for our listeners, can you share uh, what I'm talking about as far as your hunt? I know a little bit about where you went, what you did, but I think uh, if you can start maybe from the beginning and Give us a snapshot of what, how this, how this all uh, took place, and the planning process, etc. Yeah, so um, I just got back from Colorado, actually just a couple days ago. Um, Wednesday was when I flew back in, but I uh, went out there on a Friday. So, long story short, we've been looking at this for all summer, mm-hmm. and he said. The biggest thing is to play the weather. Obviously, when it comes to hunting, that's a big factor for any kind of hunt. So the reason we were watching weather is because they need some fresh snow. So this is a dog hunt. You use hounds. And the biggest thing you're looking for are for fresh mountain lion tracks every morning. You drive the roads and look for tracks in the snow. So December comes around, and we don't got no snow, (laughs) believe it or not, up in the mountains. You do way up high, you know, you get to eleven to 12,000 feet, you do, mm-hmm. but not anything lower. So he calls me on a Wednesday and says, hey, we got a little bit, only about an inch or two, but we got some snow coming. So I said, yep, I'm on my way. So I flew out Friday morning and I started hunting Saturday. Wow. We started, yeah, so it was kind of not a drop of a hat, but it kind of was, which I kind of knew it was going to. We were, we penciled in the first two weeks of December, but. Like I said, we were kind of playing it by the weather, so. And, uh, yeah, we got out there, and each morning was pretty darn cold. And the first morning was negative 20. Oh, my. The second morning was negative 14. So in those weather, you know, that cold, it's too cold to actually run the dogs. Wow. They, they huff and puff so much as they're running, there's a chance of them hurting their lungs or freezing their lungs and everything. We, it wasn't even, you know daylight or nothing we would wait about an hour or two before we got going until the temperature got around zero or so my goodness 
Yep. So, and this is Colorado, so it's you know a whole different world with being up in the mountains. And but it was just you turn around and you see a, mountain, a huge mountain behind you, snow-capped mountains everywhere. I was taking hundred pictures with my phone just to take in the experience. It was amazing. Yeah, that is, that is amazing. Um, it's kind of going back to your outfitter that called you and you called it a drop of a hat or, you know, it had to be very flexible, but that's a, uh, obviously a sign of a, a guy that, uh, is trying to set you up for, for a good successful hunt too, though. Very true. Yeah. Cause he told me numerous times, he said, if you have to come out, come out because we can still run them. It's just a lot harder to find tracks, you know, on bear dirt, his, his dogs are trained to run on bear dirt as well. Mm -hmm. But it's harder to find tracks and it's harder to tell the difference between tracks. Yeah. So when you look at a paw, a paw, they're roughly the same size, but how you tell the difference between a Tom, which is a male mm -hmm. and a female is the length of the stride. So you might look at the pad and it looks fairly similar in size, but you got to look at that stride to be able to tell the difference. And it's not illegal to uh, shoot a female, but they do encourage you to take toms, obviously, if possible. So. Yeah. Just out of respect to the, the breeding of the cats and the uh, keeping the numbers where they want to see them, I'm sure that's probably a, a lot of what's going on as far as trying to encourage the tom harvest. Exactly, yeah. So they had it, a lot of uh, the, the state is obviously broken down by zones, and they would have a quota for each zone. So, for example, the quota I was in only had three lions oh my. that were allowed to be taken. You have to check that number every morning before you go hunting. You have to go online and see mm -hmm. what the quota is left. So yeah. when we started hunting, there was already two. So we knew that there's a chance that it might close. And there's tons of area that he can go in, but the few mountains we were trying to target that was the quota was only three yeah he's probably going into first choice places that he's familiar with his dogs are most familiar with and and um you know giving you the uh the best experience i would think yep yep exactly yeah the one day we did go on through a mountain that he said he hasn't been on in three or four years so he was trying to remember the roads but for the most part it was exactly that where he knew these roads like the back of his hand and yeah he knew he would be like any person you go through a certain valley and he said yeah we had a lion through here one time we had a bobcat up this trail blah 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 yeah so he knew what he was doing for sure you bet absolutely well you you just mentioned that um you know bobcat was there other items other game that you were able to hunt or harvest out there while you're while you were out there yep yeah exactly so um bobcat out there you do need a small game license coyotes small game license so i said hey i'm gonna get a small game license as well just in case i know we're out for a lion hunt and he said yeah you never know and a lot of the times some of his smaller dogs can't tell the difference between a bobcat and a lion or his younger dogs i should say not mm -hmm. smaller mm -hmm. but most of the time that's up to him to decide if he's going to put the dogs on a trail or not mm -hmm. But um, that's where that snow comes in handy because he can tell a lot better the difference between a bobcat, a lion, or a female, and a tom, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, so it was actually our second day. We did end up finding a real fresh bobcat track. 
So we said, we, we kind of looked at it and we said, yeah, that's a nice track, blah, blah, blah. And we said, well, let's drive up a little farther and see if we can find a line track. And then we both kind of looked at each other and we said, why don't we just let the dogs go? We, you know, I know it's a lion hunt, but we, I haven't got to see the dogs work yet. So it's like, yeah, let's do it. So we put the dogs on that track and I ended up getting a bobcat, a big uh, male. So man, oh man. Yeah. That was my first bobcat and it was just a perfect, beautiful bobcat. The funny story is I ended up getting that bobcat only 80 yards from the road, which never happens. Wow. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. He said, I forget how many years, 25, 35, something like that years that he's been running dogs. He's never had a bobcat that close to the road get treed. Wow. Yeah. Luckily for me, it was a straight rock cliff, but it was right there next to the road. So it was pretty amazing. That is. Hey, you're uh, on Your taxidermist is probably kind of happy about what's going on with you. Oh, yeah. Yep, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I actually just took uh, the lion and the bobcat over there two days ago, and we got a plan all together. So hopefully by hunting season next year, I'll have a full-body mount of a lion and a bobcat hanging up in the house. Wow, that's outstanding. Hey, at your your, uh, new place that you and your family enjoy so much, uh, you've probably planned these things out. Uh, logistically, probably in the planning stages of, you know, the architectural design of your home, I would think you, you had this kind of in the back of your mind. Exactly. Yep. And even for example, above our fireplace, I had them put in a few extra studs and cross beams (laughs) across it, planning for one day to hang something pretty heavy up there, whether it be a moose or a lion like this or something. But yeah. (laughs) the next like adventure always kind of planning ahead yeah the next adventure exactly yeah, yeah. well hey uh you know uh, on god's green earth that's what it's for is for us to enjoy and respect everything that he's given us and uh and this is part of it yep you're 100 percent right yeah. exactly and that's just like being out there i mean you can you find beauty no matter where you go. Michigan is a beautiful state. I love Michigan. But as we talked about, Colorado is a whole different world with those mountains and the elevation. Yeah. And just to be up in any mountain and be part of that, just looking around, it was just, I was in awe the whole time. It's just amazing. And that was, for example, while I was doing my hike up to get my line, there was a few times I'd stop for only about a minute or two to catch my breath, and I would just turn and look at the scenery, and I would just say, this is just pure amazement. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure, it's amazing, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's It wasn't by accident. Uh, it was all by divine design, as we know, so. You're right. Yeah. Um, well, let's get back to the, the uh, mountain lion hunt. So you guys are going in an area that has um or i should say the quota system was for three you looked online or checked online and your outfitter said you had one left and in your earlier quest for your mountain lion hunt you you stumbled on a we'll call it stumbling but that's all a part of what happens out in the out in the outdoors you stumble on some sign for a bobcat were you able to harvest a bobcat and um what happened after that? Yeah, so um, it was that same day after we got my bobcat, we were driving and we saw some uh, 
some birds flying around circling so we knew that that was a good chance that there was a dead animal so we hiked over to that which was only about 200 yards off the road and we found a fresh lion kill and it was a pretty big mule deer buck wow but the this was about 9 30 10 in the morning so it's been light what three four hours that day already and the meat was still warm so um there was a good chance that that lion was pretty darn close or that it uh it obviously killed that deer within only a few hours of us getting there yeah so we uh we found some fresh tracks around that and it ended up we were pretty well we he was pretty darn confident that it was a female okay and again it's not illegal to go after a female but we were it was only the day two so we kind of said yeah let's let's not target this one let's Mm-hmm. Um, they'll look for a, a tom for a big, bigger track. Wow. And, yep, so the rest of that day was, I don't want to say uneventful, but we didn't find any more tracks that day. But then day three was my lucky day, and it was just one thing after another of amazement that day that finished with my lion kill. It was wow. a day to remember for sure. Yeah, walk us through that. Okay, so, yep. That morning, we ended up finding a, we were on a different mountain, and we did end up finding another mountain, mountain lion kill. So it was another mule deer buck, and um, this one was a smaller one, but this one had been dead for about three or four days, and it was pretty much all the way gone. The lions, we found numerous tracks, but what he determined was that it was a female and her juvenile with her. Okay. So... Not a kitten, but maybe one that's somewhere around 60 to 90 pounds. So probably between a year and two years old. Wow. And apparently they, they are with their parents for, well, their mom for two years before she'll kick them out and they'll go on their own before okay. she'll start having another batch of kittens. Yeah. So now that is illegal to send dogs after a female and a kitten or her juvenile. So obviously we didn't set the dogs out on that, but we got to experience that. Yeah. So then we're driving and looking for more tracks, and I look over about 75 yards from the road in this little valley and see a bull moose sitting there eating down in the valley. And I say, hey, right there's a moose. So we stop, and we, we sit in the truck. We're standing outside the truck just watching it for about five minutes, and the moose starts walking away, and as it starts walking away, its big moose paddle drops off his head right in front of us. <laughs> and wow. They, how, how does anybody see that? So what? we go down and look at it, and it's a pretty big paddle. I mean, obviously any bull moose is big, but it, it was just amazing. And I got a few pictures of my cell phone, and yeah. we got to, uh, and even the moose, I got pictures of him with both his antlers, and then I got pictures with him of one side. <laughs> So, I, w- I would have to believe uh, that's that's uh, more rare to see yeah. that than to win the uh, win a you know a lucky number for the lottery. Yeah, let alone to find one, but let alone see it. Oh man! Just, yeah. <laughs> so and then uh, so then we get back in the truck and we start driving some more. Yeah, and ten I, minutes later, I, I gotta I'm stop. Sorry. I gotta stop you. So yeah. I'm back to this moose paddle. The antler, did it become a souvenir, or are you required to leave it lay? Nope, it did become a souvenir in the household. Yep. Oh, and you bet. Was, 
fun part trying to figure out how to get it home so i ended up (laughs) uh wrapping it in some towels around the points of his antler and then i wrapped it a bunch in bubble wrap and i duct taped the heck out of it and it was actually one of my checked baggage i brought with me on the plane so i got some goofy look when i'm carrying this thing around the airport (laughs) oh goofy look from a proud uh proud hunter Exactly. I had one or two people come up and say, is that a moose shed? And I said, yep. Yeah. They're like, yeah, that's awesome. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that, uh, yeah. So then we were driving, looking for more tracks. And then we see a bighorn sheep down in the valley only about 10 minutes after all this happened with the moose. And oh, same yeah. kind of thing. They're saying, this is rare. They're never down this low. They're obviously up in the rocks and in the mountains. Wow. So, he was only 50, about 45 to 50 yards from the truck. So we oh took pictures with the cell phone of that. And same kind of thing. They said, you know, this is really rare. You're very lucky to see one down by the road like this. I'd I said, be, yeah, it's just one of those days, you know. Yeah, I'd be checking his, that outfitter's pocket to see if he's got a remote control with pictures of <laughs> Yeah, pictures of exactly. animals on it. What's he going to hit next, you know? Yeah. And then we ended up seeing the, a few more, the rest of his group, about five, 600, 800 yards away up on the rocks, up in the cliffs. Mm-hmm. So we were almost thinking he got chased off by from the group, maybe by a lion or something made him come down below. Because yeah. like they said, there's no reason they ever come down below. So yeah. So that was pretty amazing experience too. And then not even 10, 15 minutes later, we find my uh, lion tracks. So it's just, here we go. You know, it's one thing after another. It's like, all right, it's go time. So we look at the tracks and at first the outfitter was saying, you know, they're actually, it's a little small stride, but then we followed it off the road and walked it for about 40, 50 yards and said, you know what? No, now it's longer. For whatever reason, when he was up on the road, he was kind of taking smaller steps, but he said, this is a pretty darn good line. So we're definitely going to try it. So we let the dogs go, and it was about, I forget what exact time, 11.45 or something like that. And he has collars on every one of his dogs, and he has um, his GPS. So Mm -hmm. each one has the individual dog on there, and it will tell you once they're treed an animal by how many barks a minute the dog is barking. Yep, absolutely. and how tight of a circle or area the dog stays. So that's, it will alert you and tell you this dog is treed. So he put his best dog out first. His name was Topper. And the reason Topper is the best dog is because he's quiet. He doesn't bark until he sees an animal and because he's fast. So oh, okay. a lot of the time, Topper will get almost right on top of these lions before a lion will know that there are dogs coming. Yeah. Is there a, is there a concern from the, uh, from the outfit of the dog handler that the cat could turn on the dog and thus yeah. har- harm the dog? Exactly. And he, he even said that multiple times that he's real. That's the best thing about cop topper. But then that's what he's most worried about too, is if he actually sneaks up all the way on top, you never know what could happen. Yeah. So he's afraid that something might happen to Topper one day, but at the same time, that's his best attribute about yeah. him. Yeah. But he's got some of his other dogs are, you know, 
they're dogs where they're excited and they bark and when they're on the trail. So most of the time, the lions will hear them coming. But to believe it or not, the lions have small lungs. Oh, okay. And so they don't have a lot of endurance like a deer or a mule deer. Okay. So a lot of the time when the dogs catch up to a lion, they'll be treated within 100 to 300 yards because the dogs just are that fast and the lion doesn't have a lot of endurance. Okay. So um, it was obviously hard to say where that lion was, but within like 35 to 40 minutes of when the dogs got on the trail, they went over three and a half miles and they had the lion treat. Wow, that's outstanding. Yep, so... And the trail we estimated was about 12 to 18 hours old is how old the track was. Hmm. So it's not like it's days old, but still, it's not like the lion just walked through five That's minutes right. ago. So. It just just uh, proves to us, uh, you know, how amazing those dogs' noses are. Exactly, huh? Yeah. So then they, uh, they did have the lion treed, so we were obviously excited and saying all right it's go time so we looked at the gps and we were trying to find um the closest road to park mm -hmm. and then start our hike and a lot of it no matter where you go you're going to have to do some kind of hiking obviously mm -hmm. but the the way we let the dogs go it was a straight hill like and i say hill but it was a mountainside yeah so we knew that that was going to be basically impossible in over three miles so luckily we did find a road on a different canyon that got us a mile away from the lion. So we said, all right, let's go do that. So we parked the truck and we started our hike. And the GPS said a mile, but the way we, we ended up going to try to save some, uh, going up some steep hills, mm -hmm. we walked a mile and a quarter. Okay. So it still ended up being basically <laughs> straight up, like wow. again for us Michigan flatlanders, yeah, is you you stare at the bottom of this and you say, how the heck am I going to get up this thing? But that's what I've been training for this summer and doing my running and trying to work on stairs just to kind of get my body ready for. Wow. Cause no matter what kind of hike you're going to do out there with that altitude, it's it's going to be a chore. Yeah. And it, I knew that it was going to be tough, and obviously I knew I wouldn't be exactly ready, but I got fairly, as close as I could, and I kind of held my own, but it's still, I'm not going to lie, it still kicked my butt. <laughs> yeah. Well, everybody always uh, that I've talked to, I should say, that has gone out there and had a successful hunt, well, like yourself, a successful hunt, and sometimes successful hunts aren't necessarily harvesting the animal, but they've all said the same thing, that despite their prep work, they were still getting, uh, you know, somewhat of a headache, um, muscle cramps, etc. But they said it's not that you can forget about it, but with everything happening, you kind of do. Yeah, exactly. And I was pretty lucky where um, I've heard of some people getting like the altitude sickness, like you mentioned, mm -hmm. either headaches or throwing up, blah, blah, blah. But for me, I never really got that, but I did get some cramps, and I did have, obviously, soreness and everything. Mm -hmm. But I was with the guide, the outfitter, and a buddy of his who helps him guide for elk hunting. So they're used to hiking 
Yep. And they were pretty patient with me, but like I said, we, we didn't kill ourselves, but at the same time, you don't want to go for a nice leisurely stroll through the woods. You're, you're trying to get there quick, obviously, because what if the lion turns on the dogs or something bad happens? Yeah. Or just the fact that the lion gets away somehow. Yeah. So you, you don't want to sit there and say, oh, we got hours, we can take our time. So we were going at a pretty hard pace, but there was a few times we stopped and took a quick, you know, three, four, five-minute break and just to look around and enjoy the scenery. And you could hear the dogs barking, so you're thinking, man, we're getting there. You're, we're going to get up there. It's at the top of this little hill. And then when you get to the top, it's just another canyon in front of you. And it's like, oh, man, <laughs> I thought he was going to be up here. Yeah. So then you hike that one, and after another three, 400 yards, the dogs are getting louder. You're getting excited. You get to the top. Oh, there's another one. You have to go up. <laughs> and then did that about four or five different times before we finally got up to where the line was, which was almost at the highest part of this peak. Wow. So I didn't mention it, but we were where we parked the truck. We were at 8,500 feet up. Wow. And where the lion was treed was a little over 10,000. It was like 10,200 some feet. Oh, my gosh. So, so, yep, it was a mile and a quarter, but it was basically, like I said, straight up. Yeah. But um, even when we got up to the lion, where which tree he was in, it was just on such a hard angle. But it was a single tree up there, and he found that tree and oh. climbed right up it. So. Wow. Um, a lot of snow or not a lot of snow? Actually, where we were, there was only about three, four inches of snow. So that that made it perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the only thing is you're walking up and down, and this isn't like Michigan with, you know, good soil or whatever. This is hard rock. Yeah. It's cactus. It's brush piles. There's down trees. So every single step was almost a surprise guessing game of what's your foot going to do? Is it going to slide off of this rock that's underneath the snow? Is it going to fall in between these two rocks? Are you going to step on an uneven rock and the rock is going to flip on you? So that was kind of the hardest part was just trying to navigate up there without hurting yourself because there was numerous times, like I said, that my foot would kind of slip in between two rocks mm-hmm. or it would slide right off of a rock because it's a crystal smooth rock and with that snow on top. So that's where you really didn't know until you put your foot down and you fall a couple of times and you stick down some cactus and it's like, Oh man. <laughs> so we <laughs> yeah. had a few little bumps and bruises, but nothing too drastic. Yeah. It was, yeah, we no, were able to do it. Obviously no emergency room visits then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, so what, I, with your with your hunting, uh, I got to stop or ha- ask you to pause for a minute. Um, what kind of a uh, weapon, we'll say, what kind of a firearm, if you were carrying a firearm or a bow, or I assume it was a firearm. Yep, yeah. I actually used a 6.5 Creedmoor. Nice. So you're, you're going to get a close shot regardless, but... Um, that was a fairly light gun, and there, it's legal to use a bow or a handgun of some kind if you wanted to. And the outfitter I went with, he he said if I really wanted to, I could. But basically, he wanted to 
if I was okay to use a bigger, higher-powered rifle mm-hmm. because he's had bad experience in the past of lions come falling out of the tree and turning on the dogs. Wow. So we wanted to make it make sure that we had the best uh, you know choice of weapon and the best outcome of you know putting down the animal real quick which is exactly what happened and i'm yeah. glad that i did use that gun yeah and again that's just kudos to both of you uh in your prep work but working with an outfitter that uh shares all that information just to make your hunt uh not just more you know very memorable but also safe and allows you to uh um you know bring your best to the table we'll say that you're between your budget and, and everything that you have available he's giving you information to work with exactly yeah exactly nice so then the and i didn't mention this but when you um when you have to get your license there is a test you have to take and pass before you can get your license for a mountain lion. Wow. And a lot of that test is identifying the sex on the animal. Oh my. So like I mentioned, it's not illegal to shoot and kill a female. It is if she has kittens or juveniles, but if she's by herself, it's not illegal. Mm. But they always have you sex the animal before you yeah. decide to take the animal. Wow. So... Even though I was going to be with an outfitter, I still had to take the test and everything, but that was a big key. So when we got up there, we saw the lion, and we we knew right away it was a big lion, but it was hard to tell the sex because of how the lion was facing. Mm -hmm. So we worked around the tree a little bit, and I'm still huffing and puffing like crazy from the hike, and because I'm... 25 yards away from a lion looking up in a tree so <laughs> shaking in my boots but. so then we uh we did determine it was a male and the size of the head was a big factor too but we could tell that this was a shooter lion that we knew we wanted to take it wow so then we uh found the best angle which actually was kind of a hard shot facing um almost straight on like angled from his uh, front shoulder and his mm-hmm. neck mm-hmm. because he was up in a pine tree. So he was covered by a good amount of brush and that was the best shot we could find, but it, it did work perfect because I got a real good rest against a down tree and I was actually only 23 yards from the lion. Wow. So pretty intense to be that close with that big of an animal. Yeah. And yep. I was able to get my wits together and put a perfect shot on him. And he, um, luckily he died instantly and fell out of the tree and the rest was history. I mean, as soon as he hit the ground, he never moved an inch. So we did our job and it went perfect. Yeah. Isn't that nice? So, I mean, just to, uh, have the experience leading up to it, but also being given an opportunity to make that clean kill and, um, you know, just taking it all in at, you know, under 25 yards away. Just yeah. the, whole, the whole situation just keeps, uh, this story is just, you know, like you said, it, it is believable. When I say it's unbelievable, it's just a, you know, a figure of speech, but um, it's just one one memory after the next. It, it seemed like every turn in your uh, in your vehicle, we'll call it, out there, um, you were put in, in front of a, uh, situation that very few people have ever experienced including the lion hunt 
Exactly. Yeah. And then just to be, like I said, on top of that mountain, standing over this lion and looking down and just seeing basically a straight down shot to where we came from, from yeah. where we parked our truck. And just to take it in, it was one of those moments that yeah, you know, you'll never forget. It was amazing. Absolutely. I mean, for a lot of people, definitely put smiles on your face, but it almost be a, a point where you get a little emotional saying, hey, uh, you know, why am I so gifted here? As far exactly. as I was, I was gifted a, uh, an opportunity and I mean, it just that went, you know, at a blue ribbon pacing from start to finish. Yep. Yep. I'm not going to say tears were shed, but I will say what happens on the mountain stayed on the mountain. So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so yeah. I, uh, I can bring some stories back, but I won't tell you just yeah. how bad it went up for me, but just to accomplish it, it was, oh, you bet. like we talked about, I, I've been training for this all year. And last year at this time, I had a issue with my legs um, that obviously could have been a lot worse, but it turned out to be all right. But I was using a walker and a cane for a couple of weeks and I was getting extensive tests done wow. because they were worried something was wrong with my spine or my nervous system. And I ended up being all right, which is obviously good, but that was a year ago in October and November. So oh, to, to turn around, it's like, man, am I going to be able to do any kind of hunt like this? Wow. But to turn around and I worked for it this summer. I, you know, I, I exercise, I've been losing some weight and I've been trying to get to that part where I can physically handle these hunts Yeah. and to accomplish that and to take a world-class trophy like that mountain lion. It was just such, I mean, I'll never get over that feeling of sitting there just enjoying that moment. Well, see, now you gave, you've given me some uh, tools to work with here. So when I, talk to my wife and say hey I've got to go on this hunt and I know a lot of times she'll wrinkle her nose up and I know that you know she's well what's this going to cost I'm saying hey hon this is an opportunity for me to get in shape and <laughs> exactly you need to do it for yeah. your better health exactly that's right so I'm getting that yeah yeah I, I, is she uh yeah I'm sure she's going to buy that just like I by uh, buying some uh, swamp land in South Florida, so yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But there is a there is a bit of truth to that, though. Um, like you said, uh, we've uh, we've we're given an opportunity to uh, live life, and and by staying in shape, whether it be hunting or fishing or recreational sports, you know, we we do we need to uh, stay in the greatest shape we can. And someday, you know, maybe our children might be interested in going on some of these hunts and to a you know accompany them even on something like that i mean there's a lot of reason to to uh to appreciate the uh the outdoors and to stay in shape and stay healthy if we can as much as possible yep 100 percent. you're yeah. right yeah not easy not easy it's it's a life uh, as we're going through life working uh doing other things that are the necessary things to uh, get by that might not be uh, totally the enjoyable part of life, but it's not that it's unenjoyable. But you know where I'm going with this, uh, Nick. Um, um, now I'm not trying to, uh, you know, pause your hunt, but um, the Grillo family, 
you, your brothers, your, your mom, dad, of course, your uh, grandpa, grandma, you have a, a wonderful, I should say story, but it is, it's a, but you have a company that uh, a lot of people are v very well aware of. Yep. Yeah, exactly. We are Michigan brand and we previously were Bay City Meats back in the 80s when my grandma and grandpa bought the business and it's a meat business and back in the day before my mom and dad bought the business from my grandparents it was more like restaurant kind of meats um, mm -hmm. and even deli counter with salamis and bolognese and we don't do any of that anymore but we still do have our hams that is my grandpa's recipe from back then in the 80s and the 90s yeah I can, I my can, mom and dad bought it. They turned it into Michigan brand in 1994. Wow. And ever since then, it's been Michigan brand. And we are, my mom and dad still own the business, but we have numerous family members that work there. But me and my brother are the only siblings that currently are working there. Yeah. And uh, so we're the third generation to be part of it. That's pretty amazing. Yep, yeah, it is. It's, I mean, you got... Uh, we're very, very fortunate to be where we're at, and it came from a lot of hard work, don't get me wrong, but we're very fortunate that we are where we're at because of our loyal customers and the good quality product that we that we produce. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and I remember, you know, because uh, I have a, a little bit of a connection with you guys for a couple of different reasons, but I remember walking into your, your location. I, I call it kind of your home office, and I think probably it is in the uh in bay city there and i'll say it the way it is you guys seem to always surround yourself by great people people that um, love to come to work because they're working for you for you guys and i've never heard anybody grumble um i remember people um you know just you would you would there was a gal her name is diane of course then uh I'm trying to think of the other gentleman's name um, he, he was in the meat business for a long time. Mr. Krajic. Yeah, um, yeah, Tom Krajic. Yeah. You would swear they were part owners because they seemed to treat the business just like it was their own. And, exactly. And I remember talking to Diane a few times and she said, a, a lot of us here uh, treat it that way because not just because we're employed, but, you know, we see the product that goes out. We put our heart and soul into this place because we want to. We enjoy working here. Exactly. And I've, I've said that numerous times, we wouldn't be anywhere without people like that, without people like Diane or Chris or Dave, Ken, there's multiple people that, sure. and Tom, like you mentioned, that helped us, you know, get our feet running. It's just, you owe everything to those people. And like I said, our customers who obviously buy the product, but at the end of the day, it's because we put that extra time and effort into making a quality product. and. Yeah. We sweat and bleed that all day that we're nothing without our quality. So that's where we push that. And even when it comes to our custom, we call it. So that's if you're bringing in your deer meat off of your deer. Or for this instance, I brought in some of my mountain lion meat. I was <laughs> going to ask. Uh, yep. And I actually just, we uh, smoked the cheddar brats just two days ago. I did um, some cheddar brats out of this lion. I did some jerky. The jerky is marinating this weekend and is getting smoked Monday morning. Wow. 
I'm pretty excited to try that. The outfitter out there said that that is the best he's ever actually had is mountain lion jerky. Wow. And basically begged me to make some because he said, you'll, you'll love it. So I said, yeah, I'm, I kind of know a place that might do it for us. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Really Luckily, I have it in there so I can uh, get it made here. And um, yeah, so then I kind of did the normal cuts as well. I did a good amount of steaks. I did roast. I did burger. And actually, that's what I'm having for lunch today after this podcast is I have a pound of burger out to make some mountain lion chili. So oh, nice. that's going to be my first thing I'm going to try out of it. Yeah, boy. I look forward to hearing uh, how all this turns out, which I'm sure is great. But just to uh, hear the feedback from you guys and your family of how, how uh, tasteful it was and how well prepared it's obviously going to be. And to, yeah. to uh, it's, if it's going to echo what the uh, outfitter um suggested it's going to be as nothing less than outstanding meat yeah because i i heard that before that people said it actually is a very tasty animal it tastes a lot like a pork meat yeah where it's like a lighter meat and it tastes a lot like pork yeah and just like we've i'm sure you're the same way almost every hunter you ever talk to is you never take an animal just to take an animal no nope. you eat you eat the animal to feed your family. You respect the animal. And that's part of this hunt. There was no, there was no way I'm going to take an animal and not, you know, respect it and yeah. um, get as much meat as I can. And yeah. I gladly am. And that's, I think, the number one question, question I've heard, whether it's been on the Internet or local family people, is, are you really going to eat that? And it's like, of course. And yeah. it's... It's from what I've heard. It's a very tasty animal, so we're gonna find out. Yes, indeed. The first person I remember chit chatting with about that, and I think it was about maybe even a bobcat, but I thought it was mountain lion, is uh, our friend, of course, Mike Avery. And I, Mike, was echoing what you had said about it resembles a little bit of pork, but it was very, very tasty. Then I uh, was talking to another guy. Uh, we're probably familiar with Tom Lounsbury. And he said, Gary, I had it before, and it was outstanding. So, yeah. like you say, for the uh, uh, the people that, yeah, well, there's always a naysayer or somebody that's going to question it. But like you said, we have to respect the animal and not just harvest an animal, but harvest it in a manner that we're going to utilize as much of it as we can. And, uh, and hey, that, that kind of alludes to our friends like Tom and, and Mike Avery. And they, uh, yeah, they got our, our backsides in the, in the outdoor world. They, uh, you know, they're they're spreading the positive messages, and they try to stop people in their tracks. We'll call it when somebody has a uh, you know negative connotation to something, and uh, kindly corrects them to say, "Hey, we're here to harvest and respect the animal. And we're going to uh, consume it as a food as well." Exactly. Yeah. So I, we, you know, took care of the animal out there. And I brought all the meat back. I brought the hide back to take to the taxidermist. And it's going to be a trophy on the wall, but also a trophy in our refrigerator and yeah. in our smoker. And we're going to enjoy it for sure. Yes, absolutely. Well, hey, uh, let's. Uh, we're going to kind of wrap this up because I'm looking at the timeline. But you mentioned uh, the custom side of what Michigan brand does. And us Michiganders, we say, uh, you know, we have such a wonderful whitetail herd 
and a revered hunt that you know is probably our blue ribbon hunt in the state of Michigan is is whitetail deer hunting. But there's still a lot of deer hunting to be had out there, and I think this is the time of year as we talked uh, before before the podcast that a lot of hunters are looking to fill that freezer this time of year. And um, I think Michigan brand has a lot to offer as far as that person that has some extra venison in their freezer or has a has something in mind. Um, can you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you hit the nail on the head that there is still a lot of deer hunting to be had. And even if you're not shooting a deer today to bring in the meat, if you shot one earlier in the season or if you still had packs of burger or steaks from the year before we have numerous people that do that and there's nothing wrong with that that works perfect but the um um you can bring in that meat to us the only restriction we have right now is it does have to be off the bone we are not allowed because we are a usda facility plant we cannot Mm -hmm. take whole carcasses or boned uh meat from the deer or any kind of animal so as long as it's off the bone like i said even if you bring us packs of burger um or packs of steaks and we can turn it into our jerky summer sausage snack sticks brats we have a whole list if you go on our website it's michiganbrand.net and um we have a list and our prices up on there and we do numerous um, flavorings from mild and hot. We do a uh, cherry. We do a uh, teriyaki. We do a uh, honey barbecue, and then we even do some specialty sausages like our brats or cheddar brats. Mm-hmm. We have a Polish sausage, so we can even turn your venison or anything really. You can bring us duck meat, goose. Wow. We've had people bring us elk before. We've had lots of bear. Um, like I said, so anything you want to turn into a jerky or a summer sausage, we can do that, definitely. Wow, outstanding. Um, mm-hmm. I, I knew that about you, but you keep bringing in new information that, uh, you say additional stuff that I wasn't aware of, but as we know, uh, duck and goose can be a challenge for some people's palate, but um, to, to bring that into your facility, to turn that into a, a, a wonderful table fare uh, is, is a wonderful opportunity for a lot of guys. Exactly, and like you just mentioned, for a table fair, the holidays are right here, but even if you don't have it in time for the holidays, you know how, as well as anybody, when you cut up a sausage or have pieces of jerky, and you say, this is something I shot this year, whether it's a goose or a duck or deer, and you serve it with a plate of cheese and crackers, (laughs) and you just get that talk going, and It just impresses anybody when you can show up with a plate like that. You bet, absolutely. Yeah, very, very great ideas there. Uh, you know, just uh, this time of year too is, you know, a perfect time. Even after the holidays, when the, uh, you know, things kind of settle down and people uh, pick up their products from you guys, they can share it with their family members by, uh, you know, bringing it to their next gathering. And we know that we're eventually going to be able to do that a lot better than we are able to do it now with everything going on in this crazy world but uh, uh, we can't stop living we got to prepare for their next uh, for our next enjoyable experience in this great world of ours so yeah exactly yeah well Nick this has been a great uh, a great chit chat as I say 
obviously a podcast for the listeners, but uh, yeah, I can picture a lot of people. Uh, matter of fact, my two nephews uh, were bugging me saying, hey, you know, when's your next podcast coming out? So I know they listen to it, if nothing else. So, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. And yeah, when I, I mentioned... Mean, never go wrong just sitting around talking about hunting stories. <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah. Well, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, put a closure on this because, uh, boy, we cover some pretty fun stuff. And I really want to say thank you for sharing your, you know, the intimate side of your, your hunt. And... Um, that was very nice, and we look forward to maybe looking online sometime, and and uh, I think, you know, whether it be on Mike's uh, uh, Facebook page or something like that, and uh, maybe you'll share some with me of uh, some of your pictures that you took while you were in Colorado, and certainly, uh, you know, your finished product when the taxidermist finishes your, uh, your mounts. We'll say mounts because there's going to be two of them. Yep, exactly. Again, it's just... For three days of hunting, I don't know how much more luck and great experiences one person could have had than what I, I did. I'm very lucky and blessed to have that. Yeah, absolutely. Amen to that. Nick, thanks again. Take care, and uh, you have a, a great rest of your Sunday today. And uh, uh, holler, holler back to us and let us know how the, uh, how the, how the mountain lion tasted. Yep, we'll do. Yeah, right. I'll have to post some um, product or pictures of it on a plate and get that. Uh, yeah. Please do. Please text them. Full experience. All right. Take care. All right. Well, thank you very much for having me, Gary. You bet. All right. Bye-bye. I'll talk to you. Bye. This week's episode is proudly brought to you by Wild Game Dynasty's Premium Turkey Calls. Calls proudly made in Michigan using some of the finest locally sourced material to bring you some of the finest calls available on the market today. Whether it be that special pot call using that special striker or a friction call such as a box call, stop by your favorite retailer today or visit the Atlanta Hardware. Ask for Kevin. Ask him to show you some of the finest calls Wild Game Dynasty has to offer. Well, that concludes episode number 73 with Nick Grillo and his wonderful story. Yeah, it's about a cat hunt. I say a cat hunt because, uh, as we know now, hey, he shot a couple cats. Most of us have never had that opportunity, and a lot of it just, uh, hey, it's like Nick kind of alluded to. You just got to step off the curb and decide to make it happen, and life is too short to uh, sit on the couch and wish it was happening. So, hey, stop by Kevin's, the Atlanta Hardware. Have them show you those turkey calls if you're looking for something plastic or imported. Uh, I'm sorry, we don't carry that stuff. And uh, I think you'll appreciate the fact that we don't. All right. Hey, till next time, you take care. Get out there and do something fun outside. Get off the couch, bud. Meanwhile, ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. <laughs>